In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Everybody's got an agenda. Political agendas, social agendas, personal agendas. Everyone is competing in the public square for their own agendas. And a great deal of time is spent trying to undermine the agendas of those in opposition. As we head closer to Election Day, that becomes rather obvious. And when it comes to agendas, the church is no different. We, too, have an agenda. But it's not what most people think it is. And this morning, St. Paul writes in his first letter to the Thessalonians about what the agenda of the church is, because there's a response to Paul's ministry in Thessalonica, and the accusation is that his agenda is undermining, that it's cunning, that it's slick, even nefarious. And yet St. Paul appeals to the church in Thessalonica and says, here is the agenda of the church of God. Test it, review it, and tell me that it is not the truth. And there really are just two things that St. Paul lays forth in this second chapter. One, he says the agenda of the church of God is a commitment to God's word. God's word, the Logos, Jesus Christ himself, who is God incarnate, who has wrapped himself in flesh, come and dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, died for us upon the cross, and was raised again from the dead on the third day. And not just a deep and abiding commitment to Jesus, his person, and his work, but also a deep, deep and abiding commitment to God's people. Since the early days of the church, it has been that simple. And those moments when the church has strayed away from our core commitments, trouble has ensued. And we prove our accusers to be right. What we see in St. Paul's ministry to Thessalonica, a deep and abiding commitment to God's work, the person and work of Jesus Christ. This wonderful gospel message which he comes in great power but in great humility and shares this amazing message with this with this wonderful congregation there in modern-day Greece and Macedonia. And they begin to receive the Word of God, and their hearts and their lives are changed. You know, uh, this uh, week, uh, October the 31st, is annually called Reformation Day, uh, because on October the 31st, 1517, Martin Luther uh, nailed his 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg Castle. And so in two years, it will be the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And so often, this Sunday is called Reformation Sunday. And what we see in the life of Martin Luther is asking the question that many of us ask in our own hearts, how do I know that I'm right with God? And the church had lost its focus on its core commitments and gone off the rails to the point that they were selling indulgences, meaning that if you didn't feel forgiven or if you didn't feel that you were right with God, uh, you could simply pay for an indulgence or go on a pilgrimage and the church would issue a little slip of paper that would say, you have this much time docked off of purgatory 
or mom and dad are now okay, uh, or whatever it might have been. And Luther began to engage in this process because in his heart, he never felt right. He never felt okay. And the whole doctrine of justification by faith is the question that even non-Christians ask, which is, how do I know that I'm justified? How do I know that I can walk through my life and know that I'm okay, that I'm heading in the right direction? How do I feel comfortable in my own skin, in my own place in life? And it was on a pilgrimage to Rome where Martin Luther saw the excess and the abuse of the church with people crawling upstairs on their knees and poor people emptying their pockets in order to buy God's grace. And in reading Paul's letter to the Romans, Martin Luther heard that the righteous are justified by grace through faith. Simple trust in Jesus Christ. Simply placing your trust in Him. And Paul comes to Thessalonica, and this is the only message that he has, for there is no other name under heaven or on earth given for health and salvation but that of Jesus Christ. Silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ, here is what I have to offer you, this glorious gospel message. And so Paul says, we didn't come in great pomp and triumph, but we came meekly and with humility, but we came confidently with this word of God, which has the power to transform lives. Martin Luther wrote, You should not believe your conscience and your feelings more than the word which the Lord who receives sinners preaches to you. Luther knew that our conscience and our feelings are going to lead us astray. If we look inside of ourselves for an assurance that God loves us, sometimes we don't find it. Sometimes we don't feel like God is very close or that maybe even God loves us, which is why on another occasion Luther said, the cross is outside of you. It's an objective reality regardless of how you feel. And that's why time and time again in this passage from Thessalonians, Paul says, For you yourselves know, for you know, meaning it's not how you feel, but what do you know to be true? I have a friend who's fond of saying perception is reality. That's for the birds. Perception Perception doesn't create reality, it creates a false reality. And so if you're looking at perception or your own feelings, oftentimes you're not going to get that affirmation. But if you look at the reality of what God has done for you on the cross with Jesus Christ and raising him for the dead, that's an unshakable historical fact. Regardless of how you feel, it's true. And Paul says we not only come with the word of God, we also come with a great love for you. Fitzsimmons Allison some years ago wrote a book called The Cruelty of Heresy. And Bishop Allison was right that a wrong handling of the word of God or a wrong view of the person and work of Jesus Christ is cruel because it hurts people. It turns them in on themselves. And so when Paul preaches and when Luther preaches, indeed, 
They're not just preaching to a faceless congregation, but they're preaching to people who they love. In fact, the little phrase affectionately desirous here in 1 Thessalonians, the Greek word is almost never ever used anywhere else in Scripture. And when you find it in the Greek language, it's almost always used to talk about sporting events. And here's the feeling that it creates. You're, three, you're two points down. You're Ole Miss. And you're playing in Baton Rouge. And the Cajuns are angry and they're nuts. Just look at, you know, the, I mean, the overalls are out. They're ready to make it happen. And they're there. And you're going down the field. And if you're an Ole Miss fan, God bless you. Hotty toddy. But nonetheless, as, or if you're an Auburn fan or Alabama, whatever, whatever, I would say Vanderbilt, but let's get real. Whatever, uh, whatever sports team you're rooting for, have you ever been so immersed in the game that it's like you're willing the ball down the field? It's as if you yourself are getting the ball through the uprights and everything else in the world is gone. You could, I mean, if the house catches fire, it's too, it's going to have to wait a minute and 30 seconds, right? Because you're not going anywhere. That's what Paul is talking about. That's his focus for the gospel. That's how passionately involved he is in the lives of these people and in the preaching of the word of God so that they might hear, I have no other desire than that you might know Christ and him crucified. I'm so single-minded about this. And you know this. You know of my great love for you and my commitment to you, for I love you. One of the great heroes of the faith was Charles Simeon, who for years was the rector of Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge, England. And Charles Simeon was a wonderful preacher. He helped uh, found the Church Mission Society, which sent missionaries all over the world uh, to take the gospel to places who had never heard the name of Jesus in the 1800s. But do you know when Charles Simeon started his ministry, for the first couple months, the church wardens locked him out of the church. He got into the pulpit and he preached Jesus Christ and they said, we don't want to hear it. Now, if I were Simeon's friend, I would have said, brother, it's time to pack your bags and get your resume together. Get on monster.com. Do something else. And yet Simeon stayed and he loved on his people. And when they had their eyes open to the great love that he had for them, not only were the doors of the church unlocked, But their hearts were unlocked, too, to this gospel message. Bishop Charles McIlvain, an American bishop in the mid-19th century, upon visiting, Charles Simeon wrote this about Simeon. The sweet, affectionate expression of his face and the welcoming tone of his voice united with great softness and childlike simplicity of his manners instantly made me feel as if I was in the presence of a father. And Simeon himself, preferring rather to commend truth and goodness than to castigate error and evil, used to beg his younger clergy to, quote, be gentle among your people as a mother with her family. And so not only is there deep commitment to the word of God, to Jesus Christ himself, but a deep commitment to loving the people, even those who would lock a door against you, even those who would stop their ears up to the gospel. And so, as we approach 500 years to celebrate the Reformation, yes, we do have an agenda. An agenda 
of a commitment to God's word and a commitment to love God's people. The same commitment of St. Paul, Martin Luther, and Charles Simeon. It may be that this agenda is misunderstood, but on their shoulders, here we stand, for we can do no other. May God help us. Amen.